this section of John's gospel has been twisted and turned around and made into something it is not. It is not about saving souls from eternal damnation. Uh, as we continue in the second week of Lent, our readings now turn from Matthew's gospel to the gospel of John, and we're going to stay in that gospel for a couple of weeks. In these coming weeks, we will get long stories of different people and their very different encounters with Jesus. And we're going to spend some time trying to understand what they mean for us. Now, today begins with a familiar story uh, for some of us that we often kind of breeze through on our way to get to one of the most well-known and well-loved verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16. But so much happens before we get to that verse and to the one after it, and I want to spend a little time there. So I think my favorite part of this story is actually not where it ends up, but how it begins. The story does not begin with the gospel in miniature, as Martin Luther called John 3.16, uh, it begins with Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee, a teacher, a keeper of the law. We sometimes think of them as the bad guys of the Bible, but they're not. They're just normal teachers of the rules of the church. And he comes under the cover of night to question Jesus. He doesn't come at night for a nefarious reason, just out of curiosity. He thinks that maybe after what he's seen and heard, maybe Jesus is who they've been waiting for. Maybe he's the real deal. But Nicodemus can't possibly say that out loud. He certainly can't be seen talking to this rabble rouser, so he comes at night. And again, for me, it's not so much when he comes that matters, but why. Nicodemus comes because he wants to hear some more. This is why this is my favorite part of the story, because Nicodemus comes not with all the answers ready or to prove his point or to fight it out with Jesus, but because he has some questions that he wants to the answers to to help him figure out just who Jesus is. Now, to be clear, Pharisees are not supposed to have questions. They are supposed to have answers. But he starts out, you must be from God, right? How else could you be doing all of these things if you weren't from God? So he's basically saying, you're the Messiah, right, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, let's say, less than helpful to that question. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Uh, I also don't understand what Jesus is saying here, especially since the question is, aren't you the Messiah, essentially? It doesn't answer the question, so they keep kind of going back and forth without Nicodemus ever really understanding what Jesus is trying to say until they get to that John 3.16 part where Jesus says, For God loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. You know this, you've said it, many of you have this memorized. And suddenly we get to John 3.16 and we say, Oh, oh, Jesus is telling us we just have to believe. That's the whole point. I'll just go ahead and check believing off my list and be on my way. 
right? Nicodemus and Jesus have an exchange about being born from above, which is sometimes translated as born again. And with that information, Nicodemus does what so many of us do. He takes something Jesus says, he takes it literally instead of metaphorically asking, am I supposed to climb into my mother's womb and be birthed again? You guys. I feel like Jesus makes such a face palm here so hard. I have a mug. I took a picture of it. I brought it this morning. Nick's got a picture of it for you. It's one of my favorite mugs. A friend got it for me. It's Jesus saying, OMG, you guys, that's not what I said. And he's eye-rolling really hard there. Uh, this is this moment here where he's just like, oh my gosh, of course, you're not gonna, as a grown person, climb up into your mother's womb and be born again. That's weird, right? Oh, I just feel like you can feel his eye roll. You know that's not what I mean, he says. You have to be reborn of water and spirit. And then, whoop, here we go again, turning this into a thing we can check off a list. Well, if this is about saving souls, then all we have to do is be born again. And since unlike Nicodemus, we know we can't be physically rebirthed, so we'll just make baptism the rebirth, and we'll make everyone who wants to get saved get baptized, even if they've done it already. We'll just have them do it again, right? Maybe more than once that they really want it to stick. We can check that off our list. Done. This section of John's Gospel has been twisted and turned around and made into something it is not. It is not about saving souls from eternal damnation. That is not the point of why Jesus is here. If this were about that, about winning souls for God, then Jesus would just say, yeah, I'm the Messiah. It's me, right? So then he saves Nicodemus right then and there, and then Nicodemus, a guy with quite a bit of power in a very powerful system, would go back to the other people with power and say, hey, this guy's the Messiah, and they would all be saved too. And then they could go tell all their people, and they would all be saved too. Do you see how if it's about saving souls, we get the wrong story? That's obviously not what happens. We, we know this already, right? But this is what we want to have happen when we make this whole story about one verse. And then we make that one verse about our, our ability to do something, literally anything, to save ourselves. If this really is the gospel in miniature, then it cannot be a threat. The good news can never be a threat. You can't tell people in one breath, God loves you, and also, but you might go to hell. You can't do that. That's not the gospel. It can't be a condition. If you do this, then you get this. If it's any of those things, it is not good news. It's not gospel. The good news in this entire story is that the love that God has for us is not dependent on us. It's not actually about us at all. The good news is that this whole story is about God's love for us shown through Jesus. How do we know? It's right there in this sentence. God so loved the world. Now, a little word nerd moment here. In the Greek, the word we translate as so, for so loved, is hutos, 
which is a lovely word, which doesn't mean a lot or so much or in a big way. It means in this way. God loved the world in this way. Here's how. Think of a, a semicolon right there. God loved the world in this way. He gave Jesus so that we might be saved. That Jesus came that we might not perish but have life and life abundant. That Jesus came not to condemn us but to love us. We get so stuck on the words whosoever believes that we have made this gospel into something that is not gospel. Believing in this story is a verb, not a noun. If it were a noun, it would be something you could have some of, like an amount of, like a thing you could hold and then get more of as you work harder at it. Believing is a verb. It is a thing we do, even if we don't quite know what it means or even if we can't define it. And actually, our Lutheran theology says that God is how we believe. God puts belief into us because we can't do it on our own. Belief is a thing you can only do within and through the grace of God. It is not a thing we do on our own. See, the good news in this story is that you don't actually have to get it for it to work for you. You don't have to take it literally. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to say the right thing or do the right thing. In fact, Nicodemus, taking in the whole story into account, proves all of this to be true because he doesn't get it and he doesn't know what he believes. He just wants to have an encounter with Jesus and he does. And that's enough. He doesn't come with an assumption that he has all the answers. He doesn't assume he knows who God is or what God is like. He simply keeps seeking. If this story were about his salvation, Jesus would have saved him right then and there, but it's not, and it's not that way for us either. For Nicodemus, and honestly for all of us, encounters with God leave us most often bewildered and confused and less certain instead of more. Author and writer Debbie Thomas said, Jesus had no problem leaving Nicodemus confused and muddled. He was in no hurry to get Nicodemus to sign on the dotted line. After all, what Jesus was offering Nicodemus was not a tune-up or a minor tweak to an already near-perfect life. It was a brand new life, a new birth, a fresh down-to-the-foundations beginning. What newborn enters the world without birth pangs, shock, disorientation, or pain? Downright bewilderment is not the exception in the birth story. It is a rule. If we don't find Christianity at least a little bit confusing, then perhaps it's not Christianity we're practicing at all. I love that we spend the second week in Lent in this story. This is a perfect story for us to be curious about in this season. Because fun fact, the word Lent comes from the Middle English word Lente, which means springtime. Lent is not a season of suffering, but of rebirth, which is maybe the whole point of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. We are letting something die in order something new might be born. 
Now, this is Nicodemus' first encounter with Jesus, but it is not his last. He shows up a few more times in John's gospel. And in all of these moments, he continues to show up with a posture of curiosity and openness, kind of the opposite of what we assume Pharisees are like in Scripture. In John 7, he reminds his colleagues, the other Pharisees, that they are not to judge a person before hearing from them. Hmm, wonder where he got that from. In John 19, he appears to assist Joseph of Arimathea with the preparation of Jesus' body for burial. In either of these stories, it doesn't say that he had at that moment left everything behind to follow Jesus. It doesn't say he prayed some magical prayer and he was now a believer. We don't know any of those details at all. We just know that his encounter with Jesus mattered and it changed him. Just as we will see in the next few weeks as we hear different stories of other people's encounters with Jesus and how it changes them. There is a danger in making this story of Nicodemus about one verse or about right belief or the most belief or the best belief or even about being born again. When we do that, we miss the wider story, the bigger gospel, the good news, and we turn something beautiful into something threatening. And that is not what God was here to do. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but to love. Again, Debbie Thomas wrote, what does it mean then to believe in Jesus? For Nicodemus, it meant starting anew, Letting go of all he thought he understood about the life of faith, it meant being born again, becoming a newborn, vulnerable, hungry, and ready to receive reality in a brand new way. It meant coming out of the darkness and risking the light. None of this can be reduced to an altar call or a litmus test. The work of trusting Jesus is mind-bending, soul-altering work. It is hard. It takes time. It involves setbacks, fears, and disappointments. No wonder Nicodemus walked away baffled that first night. Jesus was calling him to so much more than a rote recitation of the sinner's prayer. He was calling him to fall in love and stay in love. Why is belief important to God? Because love is important to God. To believe is to be love. To believe is to be love. It is a rebirth. Not a threat, but a promise. Because love is the promise we receive through faith through God, through Jesus, no matter how hard it is, no matter how mean and nasty people get or how scary the world seems or how hard it is to trust or believe in God when things don't go the way we hope, we won't stop trying to find God amidst the chaos. We keep asking questions, we keep seeking out God under the cover of night and in the bright of the noonday sun 
We keep staying curious together about what God is birthing in us right now. All of that is possible because we sit in the fact that we are loved first, already, right now. And no matter how much we are tempted, we will not give up on love today. Amen. So we have been reminded that we are so loved, not loved a lot, though that's true, but loved in this particular way that God loves us, that we have been so loved, loved in the way that he sent us Jesus, that we may have life and have it abundant. So now do we take the food, the gift we've been fed, we have been loved and fed, and now we are sent into the world. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord.